Hi, hope you're doing well. This is Dr. Dale Bredesen, and today we'll be mapping neurodegeneration on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I am so excited to be speaking with Dr. Dale Bredesen, an internationally recognized expert in the mechanisms of neurodegenerative diseases, Dr. Dale Bredesen's career has been guided by a simple idea that Alzheimer's, as we know it, is not just preventable, but reversible. Thanks to a dedicated pursuit of finding the science that makes this a reality, this idea has placed Dr. Bredesen at the vanguard of neurological research and led to the discoveries that today underlie the RECODE report. Dr. Bredesen earned his MD from Duke University Medical Center and served as chief resident in neurology at the University of California, San Francisco, before joining Nobel laureate Stanley Puzner's laboratory at UCSF as an NIH postdoctoral fellow. He held faculty positions at UCSF, UCLA, and the University of California, San Diego. Dr. Bredesen also directed the program on aging at the Burnham Institute before joining the Buck Institute in 1998 as founding president and CEO. Dr. Bredesen's research explores previously uncharted territory in explaining the physical mechanism behind the erosion of memory seen in Alzheimer's disease and has opened the door to new approaches to treatment. This work has led to the identification of several new therapeutic processes that are showing remarkable early results. Dr. Bredesen is a prodigious innovator in medicine with over 30 patents to his name. Notably, he put much of his findings and research into the 2017 New York Times bestseller, The End of Alzheimer's, and you'll want to check out the show notes for a link to his newest book. Dr. Bredesen, what an honor it is to spend some time with you today. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thanks so much, Andrea. Great to be here. So we're talking about neurodegeneration today, and it's a huge and complex topic with many upstream and downstream implications. And I'm hoping that we can create a bit of a high-level map today, yeah. thinking about the topic through a 36-holes-in-the-roof lens. Would you start us off by defining what neurodegeneration actually means? Yeah, it's a good point. There are these you know, various diseases in which your neurons die. And before that, they degenerate in that they lose 
their synapses, they actually retract their processes, and then they ultimately pass away. And so no surprise, your brain gets smaller. And this is, as you know, the area of greatest biomedical therapeutic failure. As people say, everyone knows a cancer survivor, no one knows an Alzheimer's survivor. I have a book coming out next month describing the first and people writing their own stories. So this is a huge problem, whether it's Lewy body disease or Alzheimer's or frontotemporal dementia or Lou Gehrig's disease, you know, on and on. These have been a huge problem. And when we think about the ATMs, the antecedents, the triggers, and the mediators, are there people that you've identified through your work and all your research that are more susceptible to these neurodegenerative diseases? Oh, absolutely. And this involves, you know, all the usual things of functional medicine from the genetics to the to the diet to the the various lifestyle changes, exposures to toxins, changes in microbiome. As you can imagine, you know, these are complex systems. And just to take start at the 50,000 foot view here, Mm -hmm. uh, what our research showed over 30 years is that the, the fundamental concept of neurodegeneration has been wrong. The idea was, oh, you had some sort of a misfolded protein in your brain for some reason, and that triggered the process. Or you had a free radical, and that triggered the process, or something like, and there are all sorts of theories of Alzheimer's, that it's, you know, type 3 diabetes, that it's herpes simplex, that it's prions, that it's due to amyloid, that it's due to tau, and just go on and on down the list. But fundamentally, what we found in the laboratory is that these diseases have one thing in common. There you have a neural subsystem, and it's going to be a different one for Parkinson's than it is for Alzheimer's, than it is for others, that these neural subsystems in your brain have defined requirements. So they've got a supply and a demand. And that what happens because of genetics, because of changes in your microbiome, even in your brain's microbiome, changes in various parameters, which we can now look at and measure these different parameters. If you are in a chronic state in which the demand exceeds the supply, then your that subsystem will begin to degenerate. It will essentially involute. And so, of course, when you look at the brains of someone with Alzheimer's, they are smaller. And you can actually trace the molecular pathways and see the various inputs that come through the amyloid precursor protein, which is one of the central parts of Alzheimer's disease. And literally, this thing serves as a molecular switch. When things are good, then in fact, your brain is making new synapses, keeping new synapses. Things are good. You are in a mode of growth and maintenance. And on the other hand, that same molecule senses when things are poor, when you don't have this, when you have this mismatch. And in fact, it will now send a completely different signal and you go into a protective downsizing mode. And there are four major groups of things, all within functional medicine, that will determine whether you are on the right side of that, whether you're going to be in Mm -hmm. constructive and maintenance mode, or whether you're going to be in downsizing protective mode. And those are, number one, anything that's creating ongoing inflammation. And so, Mm -hmm. you you know, all these things from leaky gut to, you know, undiagnosed chronic infections, these things, sorts of things come up. And, And again, you can literally 
literally trace the molecular pathways. Wow. When you see how NF-kappa-B enters the nucleus, it affects hundreds of genes, as you know, and two of the genes that it affects actually are ones that cut the APP to cause it to go on to the protective downsizing part. So it's literally saying we are, you know, we are inflamed, we are under attack, and we're going to go into a downsizing protective mode. Now, the problem is people just don't address that. And so they continue to go down, down, down. So that's the first of the four. The second one is toxins. And so again, anything, whether it's biotoxins, whether it's inorganics like mercury, Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, uh, things like being in you know fires and, and air pollution yep. has turned out to be critical for Alzheimer's disease. And then the third group, of course, is the organics. You know things like glyphosate and benzene, toluene, formaldehyde, all those. So that, that's the second group. The third group is energetics, and again, very much related to what we look at in functional medicine. And so, and the energetics, the big four for for Alzheimer's, are cerebral blood flow oxygenation, mitochondrial function, and ketosis. You actually mm. need the, you, you need something to burn and you should be able to go back. If you're, if you're flexible, of course, you're metabolically flexible, you can go back and forth between glucose and ketones. Many people with Alzheimer's are not able to do that. And so it's critical to, to bring that back. So, so many have, you know, low cerebral blood flow, low oxygenation. And then the fourth group of the four is trophic support. Mm. And that's within that three things growth factors, things like NGF, BDNF. Second thing is hormones, things like enough estradiol, Mm -hmm. testosterone, pregnenolone, progesterone, DHEA, on and on. And then the third group is nutrients. So Mm -hmm. things like vitamin D, as you know, hypovitaminosis D is associated with increased risk for Alzheimer's disease. So you basically have this beautiful neural network and you can literally write an equation out that shows you how you support this versus how, if you don't support it enough, it's actually going to go into this downsizing protective mode. And that that really shows you how to prevent the problem and how to reverse the problem. And again, er, the easier, the earlier on, the easier it is. So the reality is this now should be an optional disease. Mm-hmm. Really, no one should be getting Alzheimer's if they get appropriate prevention analysis for these major risk factors, get on appropriate prevention and early reversal. There's so much I have to say in response, Dr. Bredesen, and I'm just, I'm floored by and taking notes like crazy by what you're saying and so excited for the new book. One thing I want to reflect for you, and I have a question for you about it, or there's actually two things, but I want to reflect. But the first one is just how your brain thinks in a matrix. And as somebody who teaches thousands of clinicians, I find that it's very difficult to get this idea of multifactorial at play in the clinical model. People want to attach themselves to the toxins or to the one infection or to the mitochondrial function. They Mm -hmm. attach to one thing and that becomes their rallying cry as opposed to constantly seeing the whole, being able to really assess for the whole. And the second part of that is something I really love that you do in your work. And I've kind of mimicked it, to be honest, in helping us understand even things like Crohn's disease is the approach of taking that goal approach rationale. What are we trying Mm -hmm. to do? How do we go about it? And what's the mechanism behind it, the molecular pathway? And I I just wanted to ask you, like, how do we get more practitioners to 
think in this multifactorial matrixed way. This is a great point. And I think it is the future. It is the way that functional medicine and yes. precision medicine and all of these approaches are um, meant are to changing. function. <laughs> exactly. And so I think the, the pro here's the problem. We have had you know centuries where we didn't understand physiology as yes. well as we do now. And so we started always by saying, what's the disease? Oh, yes. okay. Why is this person coming to see me? Oh, do they have measles? Do they have a broken leg? You know, do they have Alzheimer's? What is it? And we need to change that fundamentally, as you well know, into when the person walks in, it's why is this person here? Yes. What, what are all the things uh, that, why did this person change their physiology? And so I'm always interested whether people are, inter are interested in prevention or reversal. I'm interested in what is the status of their neural subsystem. Um, am I concerned because they've got a little bit of insulin resistance? Okay, that's something that definitely I've got to be concerned about that. That is going to contribute to risk. What's their genetic status, whether it's APOE4 and there are about 30 other genes that all have that can that all confer uh, some degree of risk as well. Um, are there things and uh, you know do they have a leaky gut? Are they are, do they have ongoing inflammation? And so you can basically start to see how this network is trying to defend itself. Yes. And if it's got again, if the input, if the supply is not good enough for the demand, and the demand may be up because of inflammation or because of trying to detoxify, and the supply may be down because of poor energetics or or because of poor trophic support. Um, you know, is this person meeting that demand? And I've been, you're absolutely right, and I hear this all the time. They say, well, you know, we're working on this one thing if the person doesn't seem to be getting better. Well, okay, this is a complex system, yes. and you need to be able to look at all these. I wish there were a very simple clinical test. We can just tell you, here's where you stand, uh, you know, on this particular you know, one number, you're on the positive or the negative. That's not available yet. So that's where clinical expertise really comes in. And you have to be able to look at Now, it is true. There are often rate limiting steps. So people we see will often improve a little bit and then plateau. Something's missing. And it may turn out that they've got a an undiagnosed pathogen. So we had one person, for example, who improved but then after a few years started backsliding a little bit and ultimately it turned out that she had undiagnosed babesia. And mm. as that was now uh, treated, then she then uh, improved once again. So what the disease state is telling you is that something is not being met. And I think you're right. This is uh, appropriate for all complex chronic illnesses. Yes. We have to think of these as network illnesses. Yeah, really brilliant. When I'm talking to the coaches and clinicians that I train, I'm constantly trying to remind them that it's not our job to diagnose, treat our job. It's not, that's not our job. We're not medical mm -hmm. practitioners, right? So how do we support the work that the medical practitioners are doing, even if we don't know the answers? And for me, this comes down to how the right side of the functional nutrition matrix that you're looking at supports your work. I'm wondering if you could speak into the work we to be doing to help people with the appropriate nutrition, blood sugar balance, hydration, working with stress and resilience, sleep. How does that support what you're then doing in the clinic at this deeper medical level with neurodegenerative? That is a hard word for me to say with neurodegenerative diseases. Yeah, good point. Uh, so I think actually it's pro it's the most important part what you're doing because number one you have the most access 
to the patient or client. Yes. You're understanding what their psychology is. You're also understanding, you know, what is it going to take to make the changes that are required? The doctors will often say, oh, you know, they should do this or that, but then there's no follow-up. They don't, they don't make sure that this is actually happening. So that's the first piece. But then the second piece, I think, is to be able to know where do they stand on the various pieces of their network and then to be able to, you know, to follow up so that you're interacting both with the physician and with the patient or client yep. to say, okay, how, how can this, in other words, if, if you've got, this is like a car that's stopped on the side of the road. Uh, the physician is just saying, okay, to do this, you should turn the crank, you know, you should put the key in the ignition or what, what have you, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure the oil's okay. You gotta make sure all these things, but now the person who's actually there to make sure it happens, to get the thing cranking, to know when is it working? Is it not working um, is going to be you. And so I yes. think that's a huge, and, and my own daughter is a, is a, is a brain health coach. And I'm so excited about what she's doing because she's interacting directly and making sure that these people get optimized and also picking up things that might have been missed. Exactly. Exactly. That partnership between different kinds of providers is so important. And I'm so glad yeah. that you said that. I am really, again, excited to point to the new book and to all your work. In our final moments together, is there something you wish that all practitioners knew of all sorts of levels of practicing knew that doesn't seem to be known about neurodegenerative diseases? Great point. And, you know, there are hundreds of things, but let me point <laughs> out one that I, because I think it is a huge impediment to moving forward. And there's a simple term, mild cognitive impairment, which is what's used every day. And the doctors will say, oh, you have MCI, you have mild cognitive impairment. So, you know, mm -hmm. come back in a year. It's not that bad yet. This is really hurt a lot of people because MCI is the third of four stages of Alzheimer's disease. What's, is this like saying someone has mildly metastatic cancer? Right. It's a horrible term. And so, you know, step phase one is you have, you know, you have uh, pre-Alzheimer's, you know, asymptomatic. Two is SCI, subjective cognitive impairment. That's really should be called early Alzheimer's. MCI should be called advanced stage Alzheimer's. It's the mm. third of four, four stages. So you really need to jump on, preferably before that, you know, SCI or, or pre-symptomatic, so that I'd like for everyone to understand that MCI is essentially an emergency. It's not mild cognitive impairment. It's late stage Alzheimer's disease. Please get in and please encourage your people to come in for prevention. Everyone should have a cognoscopy when they turn 45 years or if they're older than 45, just as we have a colonoscopy when we turn 50. And everyone should get on active prevention or earliest reversals. Please don't wait. Such an important point. And now before I go, I need to ask you to define what would be included in a cognoscopy. Yeah, just three things. Number one um, is a set of uh, blood tests and urine tests. So just looking at the very parameters we've talked about, looking at the things that are related to inflammation, the, you know, the various, the very four things that you and I talked about. Yes. Um, the second piece is a simple online cognitive assessment, takes about 30 minutes, quite easy to do. So just to know where you stand, because this does sneak up on you and often people think think they're there for, for prevention. It turns out they're actually already into MCI. So, you know, then get in there early. And then the third piece is optional if you are asymptomatic, and that is an MRI with volumetrics. If you're asymptomatic and you're doing well on your test scores, don't worry, you don't need an MRI. But if you're already having some symptoms or scoring poorly, then please include an MRI with volumetrics. 
that's it. That's a cognoscopy. It's simple. And it's much more pleasant than a colonoscopy, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. Dr. Redison, I am such a huge fan, fangirl of your work. I'm so grateful that you're doing what you're doing. And I've learned a tremendous amount from you over the past few years. Thank you for all you do and for sharing your time with us today. So great to talk to you, Andrea. Thank you so much. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 